Hear the reading of the Lord. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Forever, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the eternal word of God. May he write it onto our hearts. You may be seated this morning. Two announcements before we get started this morning. Uh, please join us next Sunday morning at 845. Myself and Brother Frank and the deacons as we come at the beginning of each month to cry out to the Lord for prayer. Um, so we'll gather in here at 845 for a time of prayer before our Sunday school hour and before the service. Also, there will be no uh, Wednesday night um, meals until um, there's further announcements. We're going to take the next season just to kind of regroup and uh, see what God has for us for uh, Sunday or for Wednesday evening services. So just be watching in your bulletins for that over the next few weeks. Uh, lastly, I'd like to read a card uh, to us. This is from Miss Faye in the passing of Brother Kenneth. She writes, thank you so much for the food, the cards, prayer, and the beautiful throw sent during Kenneth's, pa Kenneth's passing. It's such a blessing to have a church family to lift us up during such a difficult time, your love and kindness will always be remembered. In his love, Faye Black and family. We are committed to Miss Faye. That though we walked with her over this uh, grueling time of the passing of Brother Kenneth, we will continue to walk with her um, as long as God will allow us. Um, oftentimes when people pass, we rally around for a few weeks, maybe months. And then we kind of forget. And so uh, my prayer is that we would continue to lift Miss Faye up uh, during this difficult time. Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump in to what God has for us in His eternal Word. God, we come to You open-handed this morning. And we plead with You that we would not leave empty-handed, but you would fill not just our hands, not just our minds, but our hearts with your word. That your word, God, would be the thing that would nourish us. You say, Jesus himself said, we cannot live by bread alone. We need your eternal word. And so we ask that this morning. So guide us, lead us as we look at this text here in Luke chapter 18. May all God's people say, Amen. Let's look at Luke chapter 18, verses 19 through 14. It's already getting hot. Maybe that's just me. 
I know I said a few weeks ago that we would be starting a new series in Genesis called Foundations. We will wait till we start the school year. I did not want to start that series with people coming and going over these next few weeks with vacation. Uh, I believe that this series in Genesis will be very important to us. All that we believe to be true about the Bible can be found in those first 11 chapters. And so I want to take our time and we'll walk through probably now, maybe till a little bit after Christmas, those 11 chapters. So please, even now, be preparing your hearts reading those 11 chapters as we'll start here in a few weeks um, called Foundations. But this morning, I want to come to us in Luke chapter 18. And God has been um, pointing me in the same direction uh, as you'll see over the last few weeks. I think so often we come uh, day in and day out and we, we forget That we don't just live for today, but we live for eternity. So often we just see what's right in front of us and we get blinded by there is an eternity that is coming for every single one of us in this room. As we come to this text, I want us to see that. See, we have a great disadvantage when we come to this text. This is a very familiar passage to all of us in this room. The Pharisee and the tax collector. And so we already know the outcome. We already know who the good guy is. We already know who the bad guy is. And so my my great fear for us is that we'll turn off our thinking caps because we already know what this passage says. And my hope for us this morning that God's Word would be as fresh this morning as the first time you read it. And that every time you would come back to God's Word, it would be as fresh to that moment as it was the first moment. Uh, Andrew, this is for you. You will not have to go through the slides. Uh, You'll get confused, I promise. So just take your hand off the keyboard. Uh, I'll give you the outline. The outline is this, but Andrew, do not follow along. Uh, The outline to our passage this morning, it's called the Great Comparison. That's what Jesus is going to do in this text. He's going to compare two men in this parable. What He's going to compare is their prayer, their posture, their plea, and their promise. So for us this morning, let us open our minds to what God's Word would have for us. You see, Luke chapter 18, Jesus starts with these two things. The two things in verses 1 through 8 and 9 through 14 are about the idea and the call on our lives to be people of prayer. Verses 1 through 8 is the persistent widow. He's going to say how to pray. And then this passage, he says how not to pray. So he's saying with the persistent widow, we've got to be persistent. Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. And now he's going to start this passage by telling us this is how we ought not to pray. And then he's going to end it again with how we are to pray. My prayer for us this morning would be this. To be honest with ourselves, who are we most like in this passage? Now, it's easy for us to want to jump to the conclusion that I'm not like the Pharisee. I'm more like the tax collector. But I would beg you and plead with you this morning, take an honest inventory. Who are you most like in this passage? So here Jesus is in verse 9. He says he's talking and giving a parable Look who he's giving the parable to. 
He also told this parable to some who trusted where? In themselves. Maybe before we even get to the Pharisee and the tax collector, you got to say, am I the guy in the crowd? Because the guys in the crowd are more like the Pharisee than they are like the tax collector. They trusted in, in themselves that they were righteous and treated other people with contempt. And then he tells the parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and other the tax collectors. At that very moment, the crowd would have paused and would have gone irate already. He's already saying, here's the two men. We have a Pharisee and we have a tax collector. What is true about a tax collector, they were not allowed into the temple to pray. In that culture, tax collectors were unclean people and only clean people could enter into the temple. So the crowd would have already said, wait, wait, Jesus, you're off. How are you letting that man even go into the temple? You see what a tax collector was? He was a Jewish man that was hired by the Romans. And he was hired by the Romans to go and enforce the taxes from Rome onto the Jewish people. That sounds all well and good, but here's what you got to know about tax collectors. They were out for themselves and themselves alone. How they made their money was straight up extortion. So if the taxes were $10, they would charge $15. They'd give the $10 to the Roman Empire and they'd pocket $5. So they became traders. They were Jewish people that traded against their own people, their own families. People hated them. They were most, the, the most despised people in that c- culture. We know through Levi's account that Levi, the calling on Levi's life as a, a disciple who he hung out with, tax collectors and prostitutes. It doesn't get much lower than that. But that's the only friends he could find because nobody else wanted to be his friend. So Jesus is saying, hey, this is the lowest of the low in our society. It would be like this. If Jesus were in our culture talking today, he would say it this way. The drug addicts, the child molester, that's who he would be referring to. That's who he would say went up to the temple to pray. Now, when we hear child molester, we want to back up and say, whoa, 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 whoa. How come he's allowed in the temple? But that's who Jesus is talking about. That's who goes into the temple to pray. But this is the comparison. Who else went into the temple? The Pharisee. Now for us, we hear Pharisee, the lights start going off, we start getting angry about the Pharisees, but we've got to rewind, go into that culture. The Pharisees in that culture were the most holiest of men. Like the culture looked at the Pharisees as I want to be that guy. I want to be him. If I can strive to be holy, that's what we want. It would be like this in our churches. That is the guy that we would want to be one of our deacons. So that crowd here is, yes, the Pharisee, of course he's going into the temple. Of course he's going into prayer. But what about that guy? And so for them, they would have already known the outcome. Yes, the Pharisees 
going to walk away justified. We know where this story ends. Of course, the tax collector is going to be condemned to hell. But look what Jesus does. It's what Jesus does throughout the Gospels. He always flips things on their heads. Always. Remember the Sermon on the Mount. Everything that he talked about took the law and turned it upside down. So here he's taking how to pray, what to pray, and turning it on its head. He says this in verse 10. The two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. I want you to pay real close attention to the Pharisee's prayer. I want you to look at his posture. I want you to look at his plea in his prayer. The Pharisee, standing by himself. What that meant is this, that the Pharisee, you know where he went into the temple? He came right up front. You see, when you got into the temple, there was one thing that separated the front of the temple from the Holy of Holies. It was a curtain. And so the Pharisee knew, I'm the most holy man in here. I can get as close to the presence of God as possible. And so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand at the front of the church. Well, two things about that. He knew no one else was going to be standing in the, in the front of the church. So he put himself in a place to be seen and to be heard. So already we know the heart of the Pharisee was not about who he was going to pray to. It was about who himself. He made the prayer about himself. He stood by himself. The original text, I believe the NIV has it more accurate than the ESV. It said he stood and prayed to himself. Now when we hear that, we think he's just praying to himself. The original text says he was praying about himself. So we come, we think he's coming to pray to God. He's standing by himself. He's praying to himself. No, no, it says he was praying about himself. Which means he wasn't really going to God. He was going to the temple to be heard, to be seen, to be recognized. It was about him. One writer says it this way. Our opinion about ourselves reflects who we really believe and think about who God is. Let me say that again. Our opinion about ourselves reflects who we really believe we think who God is. So this man in this temple, we see what he really believes about himself. Now we're going to get into his prayer. It says this, thus God. I thank you that I am not like the others, the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even the tax collectors. I want you to notice the word I in that two-sentence prayer. Highlight it in your Bibles. Five different times in two sentences, he makes it about himself. Only one time does he mention God, and it's to start the prayer. All other times, his prayer is strictly about himself. And he says this about himself. He's exalting himself as he stands there and prays to himself. He's praying about his morality and he's praying about his righteousness. But look who says achieved his morality and look who says he achieved his righteousness. It says this, God, thank you that I am not like the other men, 
I what? I fast. I give my tithes that I get. He first says, look at me how righteous I am. I'm not like him, 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 or him. He doesn't say, thank God, thank you that you haven't made me like him. He's basically saying, thank God I've made myself like this. Thank God I'm not like this. He's comparing himself to other people. We will always find other people that are worse than us. Do we know that? So we come to God and we pray to God and thank God for who we're not like. You know what that allows us to do? It allows us to not look in the mirror to see who we really are. So if I compare myself to everyone else, I don't have to take an inventory of who I am. He doesn't go to God with supplication. He doesn't go with God for petition. He doesn't go to God for confession. He goes to God to thank God for who he's made himself to be and how he's made himself to do those things. He says this. Now he talks about how righteous he is. I'm glad I'm not immoral like those people. And I'm glad I have a higher righteousness than these people. And this is how I have a higher righteousness. He gives two ways. Three ways. I fast twice a week. Now, if you know anything about the Jewish law, the Jewish law in Leviticus 19 says they only had to fast one time a year. The one time a year that they, all the Jewish people had to fast was on the Day of Atonement. So now he's coming to say, not only do I fast one time a year, I, I fast a hundred times more than what you've called me to. Look how righteous I am. Look what I've done. Look what I've achieved. See me, see me, see me. The Pharisees would have fasted twice a week. How they would have fasted was without water and without food. Twice a week. Remember what Jesus says in the gospel. He says, don't be like the hypocrites who fast so that other people can see them fasting. But here he's coming and saying, God, look at me and look what I can do. And then he says, look what else about my religious duties. I tithe all that I get. Well, if you know anything about the Jewish law, they didn't have to tithe all that they got. They only had to tithe on certain things. And so what this man is saying, I have gone above and beyond the duties that you call me to. Look how good I am. And I wonder for us, how often, we may not say that externally, but we say that internally. Look how good I am. I haven't done this today. I haven't done that today. I haven't done this this week or that this year. And so we take an inventory of ourselves. We take an inventory of ourselves to make us feel good about ourselves. That's what this Pharisee was doing. You see, when the people of that day would have heard that, they would have said, of course, of course, he's the righteous man. I want to be like him. I'm telling you, as a pastor, I'd love for a church to be full of people that fast twice a week and give over 20% of what they bring in. I'm just being honest. So externally, that's the guy I'd want. But Jesus is getting to the heart here in a moment. God doesn't care about the externals that we do or don't do. Because he knows what we do and don't do is motivated by the heart and the heart alone. And now look at the comparison to the other man, the tax collector. But the tax collector standing where? 
far off. He already has a recognition. I can't even get near the presence of God. Like here the Pharisee is getting as close as possible to the presence of God. This man has enough recognition of himself to say, I've got to stand as far away from the holiness of God. The Pharisee would have been looking heavenly with his eyes open. Look how the tax collector is looking. He's standing far off and would not even what? Lift his eyes. Think about you and your life. When you feel the most shame, where does your head go? It goes straight down. And your guilt, where does your head go? Down. So here's this man standing as far away from the holiness of God. And in him, he has this understanding. I can't even get near God, nor can I even look at God. And then look what he prays. Look what he does next. He starts beating his chest. That is a sign of great repentance. Of great desperation. So here's this man in the corner of the church. His head looking at the ground, beating himself. And this is all he can muster himself to say. Look where it starts. Same where, same place as the Pharisee. God. But then looks where he goes next. He doesn't say anything that he has accomplished. He only starts saying what he has done wrong. Be merciful. I am a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Here's what I want to look at this morning. It's this word, mercy. We've heard mercy and we read it throughout the Bible over and over and over and over again. But here in this text, the way this word in the original language is used is only used one other place in all the New Testament. You see, when we think about mercy, we think about what? When we think about mercy, like what God has not given to us. But here, this man is crying out a plea to God. It means this. God, expedite me and put your propitiation upon me. Woe is me. God, I need your mercy on me. God, I need your atonement on me. God, I recognize that I am a sinner. Not only do I need your mercy, but I need your atonement. He goes all the way back to the Old Testament. He goes all the way back to say, I am a sinful man that have done sinful things, and I have an understanding that I need your mercy to cover my sin. Is that not completely different than the Pharisee's response? The Pharisee said, look at all I've done. The text says, look what all I've done, and I'm in trouble. And I need help. I need your mercy, God. I want to look at three words. If we're going to dissect mercy from this text. Expiate, propitiation, and lastly, wrath. The first one means this about mercy. That we need something to cover our sin. 
Like apart from Christ, my sin will never be atoned for. You see, if God does not intervene on my behalf because of my sinfulness, I'm going to get the wrath of God. That's what's true for everyone on this planet. If God does not show mercy to them, God's wrath will be poured out on them. I'll get to God's wrath in a moment. But we need our sins to be covered. It's what happened in the Old Testament. That's where we get the idea the scapegoat from. That once a year, on the Day of Atonement, that the priest would go into the Holy of Holies, they'd take a goat, and they'd slaughter the goat, and they'd put the blood of the Lamb on the mercy seat on top of the covenant of God. And they would plead with God to, to vindicate His people through the blood of the goat. And they understood that only the blood could be intervened on our behalf. It's in it's in Leviticus where it says this, that the blood of a lamb or the blood of a goat must atone for the sins of people. There's no other way. There has to be atonement for us. Not only does there have to be atonement for us, if all God did was atone our sin, there's still something else waiting for us. If all we had is atonement, it still would not be good enough. Do we realize that? If all we had was atonement, we also need what mercy gives us, which is found in 1 John. It's found in this text. We need what the, the, the scholars call propitiation. Propitiation is this. It simply means the removal of God's wrath. If all I have is atonement, Without the removal or the propitiation of God's wrath, I still will come in, even with my atonement, face the wrath of God. So I need His removal and covering of the sin, but more importantly, I need the removal of God's wrath on my life. Because one day I will give an account, you will give an account for everything you've done. And so they may be atoned for, but there's no atonement for that. Then the wrath of God has to be satisfied by removing that. The wrath of God is what removes our sin, not just the atonement. They hold hands. And so often I think we think, man, we don't want to pay attention to the wrath of God. The wrath of God is this. It simply means. God's, catch this word, righteous indignation. We can talk about God's love all day. We can talk about God's kindness all day. We can talk about God's goodness all day. But all those are true about God. But there's another attribute about God. There's another quality about God that we don't want to talk about. It's the wrath of God. Like, we want this loving God, but we want to demasculate Him and take His wrath from Him. But God's wrath is what matters. If it wasn't for God's wrath, there'd be no need for atonement. See, the atonement in the blood of Christ and His propitiation, 
the, the, not only the removal of the sin, but him now standing in the place on our behalf, God's wrath still had to be satisfied. That's what I'm saying. Just your atonement does not matter. God had to propitiate or put his son into your place because the wrath of God still had to come. It's the wrath of God that was poured out on the cross on our behalf. God's wrath was satisfied on the cross. I get no amens for that. Like if it wasn't for God sending Christ to be the propitiation or the removal of God's wrath onto us and onto himself, we are still doomed. Because God's wrath has to be satisfied in some way. And so God in his goodness, his kindness to us, poured his wrath out on Christ Jesus. And that's what this sinner, that's what this tax collector is saying. Oh God, please put something between me and you that will satisfy your wrath. Have mercy on me, God. Because this sinner understood who he was, but more importantly, he understood who God was. He understood, yes, I'm a sinner, but I'm in the face of a holy God in his holiness. He must pour out his wrath on me. But, oh, God, have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. And what does God say about this man? What's the comparison? What's the promise in this passage about these two men? It says this, and I tell you, this man, the sinner, the lowlife, the nobody, the most hated of the hated, he went away, what? Justified. Justified means to be declared righteous before God. So I don't only need God's mercy. I don't just need God's covering of my sin. I don't just need God's removal from his wrath, but I must be justified. And this man understood there was nothing that he could do to justify himself, unlike the Pharisee. The Pharisee said, look at all the things that I've done to justify myself. And my greatest fear for us is we may not say it out loud, but we would say something to this effect. Well, I'm not that bad. No, no, in the sight of God, sin is sin. It doesn't matter what you've done. The moment that you break the law of God, it's sin. Whether it's murder, whether it's stealing, whether it's cheating, you have broken the law of God. And so at that moment, you are no longer justified. And that's all of us in this room this morning. Every single one of us has sinned before a holy God. I don't care what you've done. How bad it is or how not bad it is. You and I are way more like the tax collector than we are like the Pharisee. But my greatest fear is we live like the Pharisee rather than live like the tax collector. That, that we know we're sinners, but we're going to live as if we've achieved all this righteousness. Look what I've done. Look what I've kept. Look what I haven't done. 
and we compare ourselves to everyone else rather than like the tax collector that says, woe is me, I am a sinner that needs mercy. You, you see, this simple seven-word prayer must be our prayer every day. Not just the first day that you walked an aisle. But you and I must wake up every morning and say, God, have mercy on me. Do we pray that? Do we pray daily for God's mercy? Because you will go from here and you will sin from here. And you're just as in need of God's mercies today as you were the first day that you gave your life to Christ. We don't need Pharisees. There's too many Pharisees in this world. Like we'll leave here and we want to go live out there like Pharisees to let people know we got it all together. Well, the truth is we don't have it all together. The truth is we'll never have it all together. But the bigger truth is that God has redeemed us, restores us, and gives us hope. But we get to live broken in a broken world to show people, yes, we're broken, but we got a God much bigger than our brokenness that shows mercy to us, and He wants to show mercy to you. But when we live like Pharisees, we don't live invitationally. I don't know about you. I don't like to be around self-righteous people. But this world is full of self-righteous people. We need way more tax collectors than we do Pharisees. And we need way more of this prayer. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The original text says this, I am the sinner. It's what Paul said. I'm the worst of these sinners. We read it like a sinner. No, he's saying I'm the sinner. I'm the chief one. Am I a sinner or am I the sinner? Are you a sinner or the sinner? You and I need the mercy of God. And when we get the mercy of God, and when we get the forgiveness of God, and we understand that He re removes and covers our sins and removes the wrath of God, will we not want to go shout that at the top of our lungs to this lost and dying world? See, church, the promise is this. It's in the text. For everyone who what? Exalts himself. Will be what? Humbled. You know how we get humbled? By the wrath of God. See, those apart from Christ Jesus, they live exalting themselves. And God's promise here is they will be humbled. That God's wrath will be poured out on them and that will humble them. That ought to break our hearts. That when people die, they're going to face the wrath of God. And it's in facing the wrath of God that will, they will see what their sin has done to them, but what it did to the holiness of God. And they will be humbled. Well, here's the promise in the text. And this is what makes us, and ought to make us, great missionaries. Is this promise. But the one who humbles himself will what? 
be exalted. The one who humbles himself. And the mercy of God is poured out onto them. Will enter into the holiness of God. And in the holiness of God, they will be exalted. They will be what the word of God says. They will be glorified. And in our glorification, God is more glorified. And so my question to us this morning is who are you more like? The Pharisee or the tax collector? You know how you'll know that? Today, tomorrow, take an honest inventory of your prayer life. You have more eyes in your prayer life. I this, I that, I need, I this, I that. Is it about you? Or is it seven simple words? Because those seven simple words were more about God than it was about a sinner. God, you have mercy on me. A sinner. Five words about God. Two words about the sinner. So you want to know which one you're more like? Look at your prayer life. Let us pray. <clears throat>